Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. Today's study, I feel, is just really important. It's called the conscience and a good conscience. God has given us this means to have a receiver for his voice, for his guidance. For we are unable of our own self to be able to rightly judge appropriately. We need to have the gift of discernment. If we don't have that gift, God has given each one of us a conscience. And we're going to study what it is and how it works. I think we'll have a better understanding when this study is over. How God works with us to help us to stay on the right track. Let's open with prayer. Dear Jesus, Lord, please help our conscience to become sensitive. And when we have let it harden in the past, Help us to understand how that we can sensitize it yet again through your providence. In your name we pray. Amen. So, conscience, that's the voice of God heard amid the conflict of human passion. Let's read a little paragraph about this. Testimonies, volume 5, page 120. Starting with page 119. Would that I could make plain to your beclouded senses, my brethren, the great peril you are in. Every action, good or bad, prepares the way for a repetition. How was it in the case of Pharaoh? The statement in Holy Writ is that God hardened his heart, and at every repetition of light in the manifestation of God's power, the statement is repeated. Every time he refused to submit to God's will, his heart became harder and less impressible by the Spirit of God. He sowed the seed of obstinacy, and God left it to vegetate. He might have prevented it by a miracle, but that was not his plan. He allowed it to grow and produce a harvest of its own kind thus proving the truthfulness of the scripture whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap and he leaves it to our decision doesn't he we get to choose uh, whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap when a man plants doubts he will reap doubts by rejecting the first light and every following ray pharaoh went from one degree of hardness of heart to another until the cold dead form of the firstborn only checked his unbelief and obstinacy for a moment and then determined not to yield to God's way. He continued his willful course until overwhelmed by the waters of the Red Sea. Let that sink in for a minute. This case is placed on record for our benefit. Just what took place in Pharaoh's heart will take place in every soul that neglects to cherish the light and walks promptly in its rays. You hear that? Walk promptly. If we do not walk promptly, we're hardening our heart. We're putting it off for later, but when we put it off, when we stall, we're hardening. God destroys no one. The sinner destroys himself by his own impenitence. When a person once neglects to heed the invitations, reproofs, 
and warnings of the Spirit of God, his conscience becomes seared, and the next time he is admonished, it will be more difficult to yield obedience than before. More difficult to yield. If it's difficult now, it's going to be more difficult. We're choosing our path to salvation or eternal loss. And thus, with every repetition, conscience is the voice of God heard amid the conflict of human passions. When it is resisted, the Spirit of God is grieved. We want all to understand how the soul is destroyed. It's not that God sends out a decree that man shall not be saved. He does not throw a darkness before the eyes which cannot be penetrated. But man at first resists a motion of the Spirit of God, and having once resisted, it is less difficult to do so the second time, less the third, and far less the fourth. Then comes the harvest to be reaped from the seed of unbelief and resistance. Oh, what a harvest of sinful indulgence is preparing for the sickle. And you can kind of estimate where you are in this process of hardening by how you respond to truth when it's presented. When secret prayer and reading of the scriptures are neglected today, tomorrow they can be omitted with less remonstrance of conscience. There will be a long list of omissions, all for a single grain sown in the soil of the heart. On the other hand, every ray of light cherished will yield a harvest of light. Temptation once resisted will give power to more firmly resist the second time. Every new victory gained over self will smooth the way for higher and nobler triumphs. Every victory is a seed sown to eternal life. So we can start right where we are to resist evil, resist temptation, and God will help us to gain strength. But it's a struggle going uphill, isn't it? That path that shineth more and more into the perfect day. It's a struggle. And we don't feel like we're getting anywhere, but as we look back, we can see growth. Romans 2.15 Which showed the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. That's the quiet voice within. We can read about it in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 512. There are three ways in which the Lord reveals His will to us to guide us and to fit us to guide others. How may we know His voice from that of a stranger? How shall we distinguish it from the voice of a false shepherd? God reveals His will to us in His Word, number one, the Holy Scriptures. His voice is also revealed in His providential workings, number two. And it will be recognized if we do not separate our souls from Him by walking in our own way, doing according to our own wills, and following the promptings of an unsanctified heart, until the senses have become so confused that eternal things are not discerned, and the voice of Satan is so disguised that it is accepted as the word of God. Another way in which God's voice is heard is through the appeals of his Holy Spirit, making impressions upon the heart, which will be wrought out in the character. So those are 
He reveals his will to us in his word, the Holy Scriptures, in his providential workings in our lives, and in his voice heard in, in our conscience, in the heart, which will be wrought out in the character. If you are in doubt upon any subject, you must first consult the Scripture. If you have truly begun the life of faith, you have given yourself to the Lord to be wholly his, and he has taken you to mold and fashion according to his purpose that you may be a vessel unto honor. You should have an earnest desire to be pliable in his hands and to follow whithersoever he may lead you. You are then trusting him to work out his designs, while at the same time you are cooperating with him by working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You, my brother, will, feel, will find difficulty here because you have not yet learned by experience to know the voice of the Good Shepherd, and this places you in doubt and peril. You ought to be able to distinguish his voice. So this comes with practice. First, the word of God. We go there looking for truth. And then ask him to um, uh, order the providence of our life for his will. And then listen in our heart for conviction. And over time, we will get to where we know his voice. Genesis 3.15 Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That came early on, and didn't it? Um, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's given, our conscience is given as a safeguard to protect us. God said he would put enmity between us and and this the serpent testimonies volume 5 page 519 and 520 the only safety for us is to be thoroughly converted and to be conversant with the truth as it is revealed in the word of god that was way number one that he communicates with us that we may be able to give to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. Yes, in the word of God. It's given as a safeguard. Okay, I guess I should continue reading that. The special efforts of ministers and of workers all through our ranks for this time should be to turn away the attention of the youth from all exciting stories to the sure word of prophecy. The attention of every soul striving for eternal life should center upon the Bible. It seems wonderfully strange to me, considering all I have written in regard to the reading of exciting stories, to see a recommendation from your pen to read Robinson Crusoe, Uncle Tom's Cabin, and Aesop's Fables. My brother, you made a mistake in writing that article. Hmm. If these books are among those which you have for sale, I beg of you never to offer them again to our youth. It is your duty to call their attention to the Bible. Do not become their tempter by offering to them attractive storybooks which will divert their minds from the study of the scriptures. We must ourselves be drinking of the water of life, else we will be constantly hewing out for ourselves broken cisterns which can Hold no water. There are a thousand ways and plans 
that Satan has of creeping in to unsettle the minds of youth, and unless the soul is firmly and fully stayed upon God and conscientiously guarded upon the very point of keeping the mind employed in searching the scriptures and becoming grounded in our faith, they will surely be ensnared. We cannot be off guard for a moment. We cannot allow ourselves to move from impulse. We must set a guard upon our minds and the minds of our children that they may not be allured by Satan's temptation. We're in the great day of atonement and the sacred work of Christ for the people of God that is going on at this very present time in the heavenly sanctuary should be our constant study. We should teach our children what the typical day of atonement signified and that it was a special season of great humiliation and confession of sin before God. The antitypical day of atonement is to be of the same character. Everyone who teaches the truth by precept and example will give the trumpet a certain sound. You need ever to cultivate spirituality because it is not natural for you to be heavenly minded. That's why we have to cultivate it, because it's not natural. The great work is before us of leading the people away from worldly customs and practices of higher and higher to spirituality and piety and earnest work for God. It's your work to proclaim the message of the third angel, to sound the last note of warning to the world. May the Lord bless you with spiritual eyesight. I write this in love, seeing your danger. Please consider these things carefully and prayerfully. You know, it's it, it is what it's kind of like in our life is like we're in quicksand and it's sucking us down because our nature agrees with the fallen things of the world and temptations. Our nature agrees. So we have to fight against ourselves. And it doesn't come easily. It's not natural to us. Our nature is to just slide down with great glee and uh, be that wild ass in the desert that the Lord showed me was me years ago. First Timothy one nineteen. First Timothy, chapter one. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made a shipwreck. How quickly and easily we can make a shipwreck. I've been there myself. I mean, I've done it and uh, I'm fighting against it now. And I'm, it's a daily surrender, isn't it? A march in a battle. Testimonies, volume five, page 546. It is because I see your danger, my sister, that I write you now as I do. While there may be many to flatter you and enjoy your hospitality without seeking to impart a blessing by right counsel, I must warn you of unseen danger which will imperil your present and eternal happiness. We are approaching stormy times, and we want to study the true foundation of our faith. We need to search the law book to see if our title to the immortal inheritance is without a flaw. Our people have been regarded as too insignificant to be worthy of notice, but a change will come. The Christian world is now making movements which will necessarily bring commandment-keeping people into prominence. There is a constant supplanting of God's truth by the theories and false doctrines of human origin. Movements are being set on foot to enslave the consciences of those who would be loyal to God. 
the lawmaking powers will be against God's people. Every soul will be tested. Oh, that we would, as a people, be wise for ourselves. By precept and example, impart that wisdom to our children. Every position of our faith will be searched into. And if we are not thoroughly thorough Bible students, established, strengthened, and settled, the wisdom of the world's great men will lead us astray. Wow. Yeah. Timothy 1, 5, we just read that. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and faith unfeigned. So God has given us our conscience to help us. Um, if you have a pure heart and a good conscience, they go together. A good conscience will help you keep your heart pure, and a pure heart will help your conscience to be at peace. 1 Peter 3.16 Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation or lifestyle in Christ. Also, a good conscience and a godly life go together. Romans 2, 13 through 16. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things that are contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, to meanwhile either accusing or else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. A good conscience is in accordance with the law, isn't it? Because God's law is simply love. Love God and love your neighbor. And it, every time you are obedient to that principle, your conscience will be at peace. And your heart will be pure. And you'll be reaping the rewards of that. The self will want to rise up, doesn't it? What it is we want, we want. We want what we want without any guilt. <laughs> we want... What so many people are teaching today is just believe. Just believe and you can do whatever you want and you'll be saved. Believe in Jesus. He died for your sins. So you can do whatever you want because your sins are covered now. That just seems somehow wrong. First Corinthians 8, 7-11. He didn't die so that we could just um, do all these evil things that nailed him to the cross. Oh, man. Okay. 1 Corinthians 8, 7-11. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the, of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better. 
neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours will become a stumbling, stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall thy weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Now, uh, you have to understand the history of what's going on here. Um, they lived in Gentile territory, and Gentiles offered their food um, to idols first for their blessing. And their idols actually were, they were worshiping devils. And so a person who knew that wouldn't, would be afraid to eat whatever had been um, dedicated to a devil, right? It, or an idol or a devil. They would be like, well, man, I don't know if I want to eat this food because it's going to go into my body and what do I know if maybe I'll get an evil spirit um, take possession of me because of it. I, I'm afraid of that food. And so if somebody is sensitive like that, you wouldn't want to, if they were your brother and you were a member of the same little home church, you wouldn't want to do that in front of him um, because you know that an idol is nothing and the food dedicated to this idol is nothing because you worship God and that the food, God made this food and it's good healthy food and you're going to thank God for it and eat it without fear but you know that your brother is terrified of maybe whatever because it was dedicated to this devil and idol you wouldn't want to eat it in front of him because it would make it real difficult for him because our conscience is basically um, what defines our our the, our character, and if we are willing to defile our conscience, then it shows that we can't be trusted, and uh, we want to be trustworthy to the Lord, don't we? Our condition of our conscience depends on knowledge of God's word. So, First Corinthians eight twelve. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Because we have to care about love our brother. But if you know better about whatever this food is that's been dedicated to an idol, and you know that an idol is nothing, and you trust the Lord and you thank him for the food and you eat it, just do it to yourself in your own home. But when somebody is around that has a sensitive conscience or says something to you about it, don't eat it. Um... Yeah, I mean, be sensitive to our brother. It depends on our knowledge of God's word, of course. So it's wrong to persuade. Don't let's don't persuade someone to violate their own conscience, even if you know that what they're thinking is wrong. If their conscience is sensitive, just be thoughtful of their conscience. Um, let's read Desire of Ages, page five fifty. Um. I'm just going to read this from here. The publishing department is an important branch of God's work, and all connected with it should feel that it is ordained of God and that all heaven is interested in it, especially should those who have a voice in the management of the work have breadth of mind and sanctified judgment. Have breadth of mind and sanctified judgment is kind of guided by our conscience, isn't it? They should not waste their Lord's money by thoughtlessness or lack of business tact. Neither should they make the mistake of limiting the work by the adoption of narrow plans and trusting the work to men of small ability. It has been repeatedly 
represented to me that all our institutions should be managed by men who are spiritually minded, who will not weave their own defective ideas and plans into their management. This work should not be left to men who will mingle the sacred with the common and who will regard the work of God as being upon about the same level as earthly things to be managed in about the same common way in which they have been in the habit of managing their own temporal affairs until those can be connected with our institutions who have breadth of mind, who can lay plans in harmony with the growth of the work and its exalted character. The tendency will be to narrow down everything that is undertaken, and God will be dishonored. Oh, that all who have responsibility... You know what? Even though this is very good, I'm reading in the wrong book. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad I caught that early. Okay, we're going to Desire of Ages, page 550. <laughs> this will be a lot quicker, too. In matters of conscience, the soul of man, the soul must be left untrammeled. No one is to control. Now, this makes more sense because we just read about the food dedicated to idols. In matters of conscience, the soul must be left untrammeled. No one is to control another's mind, to judge for another, or to prescribe his duty. God gives to every soul freedom to think and to follow his own convictions. Every one of us will shall give an account of himself to God. No one has a right to merge his or her own individuality in that of another. In all matters where principle is involved, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. That's Romans 14, 12, and 5. In Christ's kingdom there is no lordly oppression, no compulsion of manner. The angels of heaven do not come to the earth to rule and exact homage, but as messengers of mercy to cooperate with men in uplifting humanity. So, um, everyone is going to answer to God, not to each other. Now let's look at page 487. It's no part of Christ's mission to compel men to receive him. We do it freely, don't we? We choose to be lost freely or saved freely. And when we choose to be saved, it takes some self-denial and some self-control. Let's read this. It's Satan and men actuated by his spirit that seek to compel the conscience. Under a pretense of zeal for righteousness, men who are confederate with evil angels bring suffering upon their fellow men in order to convert them to their ideas of religion. But Christ is ever showing mercy, ever seeking to win by the revealing of his love. He can admit no rival in the soul, nor accept a partial service, but he desires only voluntary service, the willing surrender of the heart under the constraint of love. This is faith that works by love and purifies the soul, isn't it? That's talked about in Revelation. And, uh, Christ's testimony to Laodicea, isn't it? He desires only voluntary service, the willing surrender of the heart, under the constraint of love. There can be no more conclusive evidence that we possess the spirit of Satan than the disposition to hurt and destroy those who do not appreciate our work or who act contrary our ideas let's read first john 3 20 and 21 this is our final verse i love first first second and third john they're wonderful first john 3 20 and 21 for if our heart condemn us or our conscience god's greater than our heart he knows all things beloved if our heart condemn us not then have we confidence toward God, and that's our conscience. 
when our conscience condemns us not, we can have confidence. Tomorrow morning we're going to study about a defiled conscience. But let me just uh, summarize what we've read this morning. And um, try to not let my reading that wrong, reading about the <laughs> publishing work, seem to be confusing. Okay. Conscience is the voice of God heard amid the conflict of human passion. It's the quiet voice within. It's given to us as a safeguard. To disregard our conscience means shipwreck. A good conscience and a pure heart go together. Also, a good conscience and a godly life. A good conscience is in agreement with the law. The condition of conscience depends on the knowledge of God's word. So, if we don't have a knowledge of God's word, then our conscience can be sensitive toward all kinds of things that maybe aren't necessary. So it's important to know God's word and what it is he requires so that we're not just constantly feeling guilty about things. So we have a knowledge of God's word. So it's wrong to persuade anyone to violate his own conscience. And if our hearts or our conscience does not condemn us, then we can have confidence. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Lord, for you giving us this conscience and sensitive heart. I pray you'll help us to learn to hear your voice and to recognize it and not to mistakenly take something Satan puts in our mind as though it was from you. That's what knowledge of your word will protect us. That's why it's number one way that you help guide us. Please help us to look these things up in your word then look to your providence and pray that you would control providence and then to listen to your voice in our heart. Thank you, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Tomorrow morning we're going to be reading about a defiled conscience. It looks like it'll be, and then a seared, maybe we'll put those together, a defiled and a seared conscience tomorrow morning. God bless you today. We'll see you in the morning.